They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. All right, good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock where I am, 8 o'clock uh, in the morning on Saturday, uh, where my guest is, uh, and uh, this is Decentralized Revolution Number 91, a uh, podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. And uh, I'm pleased to be joined by Brian P. Otter. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, it's kind of kind of short notice. Amy Lapore wanted uh, me to have you on. And uh, uh, she told me a little bit about you. So I'm like, yeah, of course. So um, tell everyone who you are and why this is uh, your busy season, so, so to speak. <laughs> My name is Brian Piotr. I'm running for U.S. Senate in Colorado as a libertarian. Uh, I've one of the most recent polls that had me in it had me at seven percent, which is among the highest, if not the highest, in the nation for third-party candidates. And that is because there are two exceptionally weak candidates on the ballot, giving libertarians a large opportunity to make a difference in in an election for a change. And uh, a lot is going on in my campaign. A lot has happened, and there's a lot of reason to believe that I'm going to be successful in making the difference in the election. Right. And I, I'm in Colorado. I, I love it here. I got four kids. Uh, I'm very happy to be on this show. Yeah, thanks. Um, so one question that we get a lot at the Mises Caucus, given um, our sort of local focus, and it's a question that uh, liberty, the Libertarian Party as a whole gets uh, pre-Mises Caucus. And now, uh, you know, we live in this uh, political system where it's red versus blue. And we get uh, some people like it and some people really hate it that, you know, you you mentioned make the difference in the election. I get I see a lot, if not most of the emails that come into the caucus and every once in a while someone, you know, most of the time it's a well-reasoned argument. Uh, that I disagree with, sometimes it's really unhinged and they call us bad names because, oh, don't you know this, the one, the the red or the blue guy is really good. And the red or the blue guy on the other side is really bad. And why are you getting in the, in the way of this? And there are several reasons why, and, you know, uh, it's not always the decision of the party, uh, or it's certainly not of the Mises caucus at that level. So, uh, that's the first question I know a lot of people have is wh why bother? You're not going to win, you know, all the, all the cliches. Why are you even uh, uh, in this race uh, as a libertarian? So if we rewind back, uh, the purpose of the libertarian party is to increase liberty and reduce the size of government towards zero. You know, our yeah. ideal government doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that it's going to be taken down tomorrow and be replaced with utopia. But that's that's the reasonable goal that we've all set for ourselves. Since we have the opportunity to place a candidate in in um, in the field, we we have a, a card to play in the game. It might be a two of spades, uh, but well played. You know, we can make a difference for liberty. So if we if we roll back to the Republican primary, there were two candidates. One was really good for liberty, in my opinion, and every libertarian is wel welcome to have their own opinion on that. And the other one that actually won is extremely big government. So after after the winner, Joe O'Day, won his primary, I, I positioned myself to go after all of the limited government Republicans to intentionally cut out his base and make a difference in the election to show that Republican Party in Colorado 
that if you abandon your base, that they have someplace to go. And I've been incredibly successful at doing that, including the uh, Republican who lost, uh, Ron Hanks, has come out and endorsed my campaign instead of his his opponent, which is not what you're supposed to do. You yeah, know, it's pretty it's pretty rare for a, a, a Republican or a Democrat to endorse a, a Libertarian or or a Green like that. Exactly. And on top, on, to, on top of it, uh, I have successfully at least gotten, well, I, I have requested, um, let's see how I want to say this. Let's just say Trump came out and told everybody not to vote for the Republican in the race. Right. Which means that there, there's some real division here in this party. Uh, one half of the party wants to play establishment, uh, big military, big government, big war on drugs, big everything. And uh, the other half says, we don't like the government. We want limited constitutional government. And if if we reach out to them and say, hey, we're allies, you basically agree with us on all of these things. Mm-hmm. Come and join us. This is our our opportunity at a statewide level to recruit for the party to bring people right. over to the Libertarian Party. Because to be honest, the argument that the Republican is maybe worse or better or whatever, and he should we should vote for them, doesn't work here because Republicans haven't won in eight years any statewide mm-hmm. races. This is a single party state. There's only one party. It's the Democrat Party. Right. So you're wasting your time if you're in the Republican Party. And the argument that you know it's a wasted vote on the Libertarian, it rings hollow here. Right. So, so I, I think I think we can make massive gains and use use my election to to change people's minds on the Libertarian Party. Yeah. And I think Colorado is a state where, um, again, sort of culturally that the Republicans are going to have a, a hard time. And that's uh, potentially a party where the Libertarian Party, again, talking long term, that, you know, you could have a Democrat Libertarian thing would be maybe a little more likely you know, looking at the demographics going forward than uh, uh, a Democrat Republican. And so that's basically what we want to do. We want to get people thinking that they have uh, a, you know, a different option than they do now. And I, I thought it's interesting. Uh, give me a little background first. This is kind of a two-part question. Uh, is this, uh, is the Democrat in this race, is it an incumbent? And My, then... Michael, Michael Bennett is the incumbent. Okay. Long, so long-time Democrat. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I've, I remember when he won a while ago the first time. Uh, so you have a Democrat incumbent, and then talk about the the Trump dynamic there because I think that's interesting. That you know, you know, Trump is not a libertarian. He's not a good guy. He has says some good things and almost never follows through on them. He says really bad things like, "Oh, anybody who sells drugs should." you know, be executed. Like he's a maniac. Uh, I think he's very entertaining, but like the thing that, um, is interesting there is that even though I would guess as a libertarian, you probably don't have a lot in common with Trump. Just the fact that he's sort of giving a lot of Republicans who hate the establishment kind of the license to, Hey, I'm allowed to vote for somebody else. Like, is, is that basically, it sounds like that's what's going on there. Yes. And also Trump, Trump is fantastic in some ways that we should really appreciate the fact that mm-hmm. he's a bull in the China shop. Yeah. We wanted to put a bull in the China shop. You know, it it's, uh, doesn't mean that that bull is going to reform the government into the limited constitutional government we all wanted to, to believe in. But, you know, he 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 uh, shook up the system to the point that people are willing to think differently people are willing to question the government you know he made a bad decision on the vaccine mandate and keeping anthony fauci in there and to be honest all of the people who support trump disagree with him and tell him he did a bad job on that you're right yeah people and, forget that already that he he got booed and stuff uh, uh, uh earlier this year and the previous year just uh, on that issue alone which is you know people say that trump's people are like mindless robots but they're obviously not, uh, uh, you know, Trump, they're not perfect, but that's a, that's a great illustration. Trump's people. When I go speak at a tea party and it's all people wearing mega hats, 
they agree with me on on anything like they they want less government if if you maybe are talking about social security to somebody who's 85 and living on that they have an incentive to disagree with you but i think if they were 20 they'd agree with me that you know it's a broken system that is never going to pay out and we need to change it we need to alter it and make it so that it, it doesn't exist anymore so that people can save on their own and make private market decisions but in general they're they're libertarians that vote republican they they have socially conservative views which may not align with every libertarian it aligns with me but fiscally they they think government is way too large and would like to take it down by 90 percent right so, so why not reach out to them they're where the libertarian party can grow those are the people that maybe we can correct them on a few of the austrian economic issues you know you can you can educate people who already agree with you on like the premise that government is too big and hurting your family mm -hmm. yeah and i think a lot of social conservatives and you know coming from you know a background where that's kind of you know my family and cultural background and even my own, like I was, you know, basically a Reagan kid and a Rush Limbaugh teenager uh, type guy before I encountered, you know, Walter Williams and Murray Rothbard and Thomas Sowell and guys like that. Um, I think a lot of people on the right, especially today, given kind of where America is culturally, is that we don't like those people don't want to like, you know, there's a few people, but they don't want to like outlaw gay marriage. They just don't want um, you know, drag queen story hour subsidized and put on at public school. They don't want the, um, the state promoting a lot of these leftist things, which is how a lot of that stuff survives. And so there's a thing where the libertarian message goes right along with the social conservative message is, Hey, we, we can at least get the state out of this and, you know, go for a live and let live. And maybe some social conservatives won't be satisfied with that, but I think they would see that as a positive step. And so that's where I think you're right that, you know, and there are different groups of people we libertarians can appeal to in different ways. I mean, you have to attack the right from the right and the left from the left. And I think the social conservative thing is a great example where we can attack the right from the right to say, you know, Republicans, since I was a kid, um, have been talking about how bad Planned Parenthood is. But every every year when the budget comes up, they still have the, you know, the subsidy and the whatever in there for it. So, like, that's a I'm glad you're hitting that issue because that's that's one that we can, I think, make some headway. And so they can see that those Republicans are are not serious about stopping a lot of the stuff that their base really objects to. Uh, yes. And on, on top of it, um, uh, my, my opponent, Joe O'Day, the Republican, has gone out saying he's going to codify Roe v. Wade. And the Democrat is out there saying that they, he should codify Roe v. Wade and they're, they're in alignment on that. I, I think that, first of all, Congress doesn't have the authority to do that. That it, under the 10th Amendment, homicide and abortion and anything like that is under the purview of the states. That you would need a constitutional amendment to enact something like that. And the fact that neither of them either understand it or feel like it matters is a big problem. And and going out to, I've spoken at churches, I've spoken to Tea Party groups, I've spoken at uh, conservative men's clubs. Bringing up this issue and pointing this out is a big deal. People really don't like that. Mm -hmm. I, I personally believe that the non-aggression principle should apply to, to babies in the womb. Um, I, I think that you could also limit abortions in private in private ways with uh, being able to purchase a baby from a mother who would like to abort. Yep. You know, people like, oh, that would turn into slavery or whatever. But OK, I, I want less babies to be aborted. And this is a solution that would work. Yeah. In that case, it's not you're not selling the child. You're selling the parental rights to the child. Yeah. You know, well, right. I mean, to, to the to the extent that anybody owns a child. Right. Right. If you were to hurt that child later, like yeah. you, you lose the rights for that child later, whether that's your own child or an adopted child. Yep. You, know, you, you have to feed them, treat them well, take care of them. They don't own themselves. You you kind of own them, but you own them with 
respect to their humanity. Like you don't just get to treat them like a slave. So, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is one of those things where it's, um, you're kind of, again, I, I think of it as a, the, uh, society kind of recognizes the role of a parent and you're selling the, the right to act as a parent to that child, which still comes with obligations and prohibitions, uh, that are in the law should be in the law and would be in the law in an ANCAP society. And, you know, we have a, that, that was my, we had a, a candidate, um, that I worked with a libertarian candidate, uh, a few years ago. And in his race, it was a governor's race. Uh, a lot of, you know, Republicans did kind of say, well, the, but the Democrats pro-choice and our point was, Hey, let's get rid of, um, all these restrictions on adoption. Let's make it easier to do these things where someone who finds herself pregnant can have more options, not fewer. Um, and you know, do what you can. And this was, you know, pre, uh, the Dobbs decision, and so let's first, hey, let's do everything we can to make it so people will choose to not do this and and also let's attack government subsidizing and propping up uh, abortion. And to me, that was and still is like the most practical way to get sort of some, you know, real gains for for liberty and for, you know, uh, kind of doing the right thing on that issue. So I'm glad I'm glad you're bringing that up. I did want to talk about too, that one thing in context, especially within the LP, we always have to think about when running, uh, you know, candidates for governor, Senate, Congress, things like that. Um, what's the ballot access situation in Colorado and how does your race affect that? If at all, Colorado is, is a blessed state. We have very easy ballot access laws relative to other states. I did not have to collect any signatures to get onto the ballot. I was able to do it through nomination at the state convention. Okay. And uh, as long as we continue to maintain our party status, it is we have easy, relatively easy ballot access laws. I'm sure that if if I'm too successful, they'll go after that, right? They can right. always add ballot access laws because I did too well. But uh, on one hand, if I'm taking votes away from a Republican and Democrats run the government, maybe it doesn't. You know, yeah, we for have, the time we have, we have an opportunity to grow here without being attacked from the the people in power. At least for a little while, and I, I'm I'm actually glad to hear. I think generally, I think that's what we favor at the Mises Caucus is you know basically to let the LP be able to to nominate and put people on the ballot. Um, uh, rather than, and, and I, I'm not, I guess, taking a position because there are merits to this other thing too, but in some states where they do, where the LP has ballot access, that basically anyone who gets 25 signatures or whatever, the way it used to be in Ohio uh, until several years ago when we had uh, John Kasich, whom I sued in federal court and lost because the Republicans lied in federal court right in front of me. Um, but uh, I know there, we had a case in Ohio once where someone who was, you know, completely, no one had ever heard of her. And it turns out she was kind of crazy and not libertarian at all. Basically had got the 25 signatures to be on the ballot as a libertarian candidate for Congress. And so we had to explain to the media all that year that this is how things are. And we have no idea who that person is. So I think ideally, um, you know, the LP would have something to say about either having a primary election where people who pull a libertarian ballot get to decide or that the party nominates at a, at a convention. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that, uh, uh, and, and so you have to, you guys have to periodically run candidates or you'll lose the, the ballot access. Uh, but uh -huh. it sounds like a pretty low threshold. Well, yeah, what we'd have to do to lose ballot access, I don't actually know the rules. I know okay. that we're not in any danger of doing that. Okay. Uh, but you mentioned John Kasich, and that reminds me one thing. So, <laughs> uh, the, so for many of us libertarians, we supported Ron Paul. I, I got started in the liberty movement as a Republican who watched the debates in 2008 and became a Ron Paul fan, joined his campaign in California, and then watched the establishment crush his campaign didn't even seat us at the 2012 convention 
uh, I didn't get to be a candidate from California. I didn't get to go to the convention, but right. uh, the way they treated Ron Paul has always irked me. And when I got to see those same people who shut down Ron Paul get upset at Trump that he was steamrolling <laughs> them, that was one of the best moments of my life. Like primary yeah. time, 2016, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, all these people who who threw Ron Paul under the bus, just getting upset that, uh, Jeb Bush wasn't going to be our nominee because, <laughs> to be honest, a Bush-Clinton repeat was the worst possible scenario. And maybe Ron Paul didn't win in 2016 and Trump wasn't anywhere near perfect. But I love him for what he did to the Bush and Clinton family. Yeah, the fact that he basically, you know, whacked both the Clinton dynasty yeah. and the, um, uh, uh, Bush dynasty, all at please clap. Right. Like that's that. Yeah. That's and really... remember people used to love the Bushes, treat them with re reverence that Iraq yep. and Afghanistan were like something we yep. had to do. And we respect our commander in chief. Yep. And here we are five years later and everybody knows it was a mistake because of Trump going out and saying it was dumb. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, uh, I, I always say, and I try to say, you know, to some of my conservative friends uh, or, you know, especially the, 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 the pro-Trump ones, I'm like, hey, could you imagine if Trump had 10% of the intelligence and the character of Ron Paul, like what he would have gotten done? Like if he could have followed through on some of his good instincts and actually, you know, you know, done things like fired Fauci and actually pulled back the troops a lot more and a lot quicker and, you know, it's amazing, but you know, just the, the fact that he was able to, um, shake things up and ruin it for, and, and I, there was like a moment there in that 2016 campaign, I, I think after Jeb, um, I love it, Jeb, with the exclamation point, um, uh, he was kind of out. I think that the, the media kind of went in for a couple of weeks on, Oh, John Kasich is going to be the guy. And it's like, man, if that guy, I've got some, I can't say them on air because I'm worried about getting sued. But if ever, if you ever run into me in, in uh, private, I've got some really good John Kasich <laughs> uh, stories. Uh, but, but those guys are, you know, and the Democrats are just as bad. They have their club and that's what, you know, uh, Dave Smith did an episode recently on just how like unimpressive these people are that, you know, that uh, are running these, uh, uh, two parties. So like what, uh, what's your kind of assessment on, uh, you know, the Democrat and the Republican in your race and, you know, what, uh, what do your, uh, prospective voters, what do they say about these other two candidates? What, where are they seeing, you know, weakness and why, why would they, uh, why are they listening to you based on what sort of defects in the other two candidates? Well, first of all, let me just give you an overview of Colorado. We are okay. a, we are called a motor voter state, which means when you register for your license, mm -hmm. you register to vote at the same time. A ballot will be mailed to you automatically without being asked every election to everybody. To the extent that that is a up-to-date system, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if somebody recently died or moved, they're also getting a ballot mailed to their house that hopefully gets thrown away, but potentially could be voted on by somebody else. And there are many counties that will get over 100% turnout this election, okay. which has always been hard to understand <laughs> uh, how you get more than 100% on a regular basis, but we do. You know, my own county got a 90% turnout. It's a very blue county. If I had a registered Democrat living in my house, and I did not get a ballot turned in by election day, I bet it would be knocked about 10 times this election. Mm -hmm. You know, they're so they can tell they probably publish the, who has turned in their ballots. And yes. so if you're, you yes. can look and see who hasn't voted. So no, to target them. Yep. And then you can legally have up to 10 ballots in your possession to drop off at drop boxes where it is not legal to monitor them with cameras. And it's scouts honor on if that's the first time you've ever held 10 ballots or not. Mm -hmm. And so even if everything is above board and legal, the system is built up so that the well-funded and organized Democrats can turn out their, their ballots. Mm -hmm. 
End of story. They do. They have the money and the people hired and the organization figured out to go around and get, make sure every Democrat ballot is voted. Mm-hmm. They have that on top of the fact that they have more Democrats than Republicans in the state. And so they have an iron fist on elections. Um, the Republicans have nothing. And same with libertarians, but, you know, we weren't expected to have anything. So the Republicans don't have an organization. They don't have a cohesive unit. They don't have people hired to go around and collect out ballots. They rely on three volunteers in a county of two million people or whatever. And and then they can't compete. Right. Uh, The governor's race is Jared Polis versus Heidi Ganell and Kevin Rakuski, our libertarian candidate. Uh, Jared Polis, the Democrat locked us down maybe he's the best democrat in terms of opening us back up he's still a terrible authoritarian uh he is he has he's worth several hundred million dollars and he can put in as much money literally as he wants as you know when he feels safe he'll stop and that is going to pull in all the ballots for the whole state and every democrat on the ballot will win because of jared polis first and foremost including my opponent michael bennett michael bennett is uh, he's best described as the word beige. Yeah. Yep. He is kind of a boring sort of he's boring. Uh, running in the background type guy. Yep. He's uh he was appointed. He was a, a school superintendent. He was appointed to be somebody who would vote the way he's supposed to vote. And he does. And nobody really particularly hates him for any kind of ret- rhetoric or actions or history. And, Nobody particularly loves him. Uh, he'll run a very well-financed, organized campaign, but he'll win because of Jared Polis. Mm-hmm. And and then the, the Republican is woefully underfunded. National money is not coming in on his behalf. The conservatives hate him and are voting for me. And so my goal is to get over 15% if I can uh, and make a, make a big point out of it. So I don't know if that I that was a long discussion on this race, but uh, I'm doing everything I can to earn all of the media that I can for free and and make points of going on and being a spoiler to really get under under the fingernails of all of the conservative talking heads on the radio. I've gone on the radio and said, yes, of course, I'm a spoiler. That's the point. Are you saying I could win? And they're like, ah, how dare you yeah. say that? You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> right. Well, <clears throat> pardon me. And that's the point is every time you hear that argument, it's like, well, if you had better candidates who actually, you know, followed through on what uh, they said they were going to do and actually gave people, you know, more freedom and less government, you wouldn't have this problem. So that's what I always say to Republicans. It's like, you know, even after I became a small libertarian, I was a, uh, I was sometimes I would vote libertarian, sometimes vote Republican. I, you know, I voted for Ron Paul. Um, uh, I didn't vote for him in 2012 because in Ohio I had to, I couldn't be a state party official if I voted in the Republican primary. It's, it's completely weird. And again, I think it's different now. I'm, I'm no longer in Ohio, but uh, so like we had a lot of people who actually voted for Ron Paul uh, in 2012 who wanted to come over and uh, start a party in their county or whatever. And they couldn't actually officially be the county chairman because they were locked into being a Republican for two years. So the, uh, but the, but the response uh, uh, what I always have is I would still maybe vote Republican sometimes if some of your candidates um, uh, that I had access to vote for uh, were any good. Um, actually that's not true anymore, but for a few years there, they could have had my vote, but like they basically proved that, you know, you guys are irredeemable and I'm, I'm the radical one, uh, here in the, uh, caucus. Like I, like I don't even vote for Glenn Jacobs, uh, and he's my mayor, uh, because he's a Republican, uh, because the GOP is dead to me. And the reason why is because they just lied to me and, you know, kicked us off the ballot and, did all these things and that the, they could change it if they became more pro Liberty and they're not going to. And so to you're doing exactly the right thing of throwing it in their faces 
and being like, no, I'm the one who, uh, and I'm not a big constitution guy, but they are like, I'm the one following the constitution and I'm the one, uh, advocating for Liberty. So that's all you have to do and I'll go away. Uh, so I love it that you've got them tearing their hair out. <laughs> uh, I, I'm causing so much division. So I'm a big advocate for being radical. I think if you're going to be mediocre and play the middle and try to be like a let's appeal to the middle and you're the average guy to have a beer with, it's like, I don't have $20 million to get that message across to try to win votes. Yeah. And those people don't care and they're going to vote their party in the end. Yeah. So you can't do that. You need to play the radical because yep. that's, the emotional appeal to get somebody willing to cross their own party lines that they've voted for 30 years to come and vote for you. Yep. And let's be honest, Republicans and Democrats have more money than libertarians. Uh, in this world, you have to get your message out for free or near free to have any kind of effect because the boring message won't be retweeted or it won't be right. shared in their emails the exciting radical or funny message will. Yeah. What, uh, uh, what are some examples that you and other people in Colorado, um, uh, what maybe specific issues or, or ways to make an argument have, have, have landed and, and done well. Uh, speaking with gun rights, people saying that everybody should have machine guns is a great point. You know, yep. none of this, like, we need to have reasonable and all the, all the, the like 400 word answers that say nothing. Just come out and say it. Like everybody should have a machine gun. If they Just want like one. Re- if they want one. Yeah. <laughs> everybody should have a machine gun. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> and okay. Like if, if we're willing to send machine guns to everybody in Ukraine for free, how come right. I can't have one? Right. Yep. That's, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, uh, you're, you're buying machine guns for civilians in Ukraine. Congratulations. Yeah. I wonder why they need them. Could it be because of defensive reasons? Like, right. Same thing here. Uh, just be bold and say it like in 1970, you could walk into a hardware store and buy a machine gun. Why right. can't you do that today? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I wanted to also kind of talk about, um, some things in Colorado. So like the Mises caucus, uh, we played a very small, but I think vital part in the decriminalized Denver thing a couple of years ago where the city kind of, uh, I don't think they a hundred percent, but they basically made it, um, like I think the lowest law enforcement priority, if, you know, uh, effectively legalized that in Denver and it passed literally by a handful of votes and they had a recount and it passed and so that's an example where Denver um, is a very, very liberal city. And so saying um, everybody should have a machine gun there, although I think you should still believe that and maybe say it sometimes. But to those people, uh, you know, we attack the left from the left there. So has the party there, the LP there, um, you know, what's your take on the decriminalized Denver thing? Are there ways in which some of our people either could or are having some success um, uh, attracting some votes from the left? I, I believe that the decriminalization is being blamed for problems caused by government in other places. Mm, okay. You know, we have homeless people on the street doing drugs, stealing things and not getting charged, uh, you know, committing crimes and property crimes and, getting away with it and people are blaming decriminalization on it uh, of of the psilocybin they're blaming it on that i i think no people don't because oh, we honestly, too the average the average person does not know anything drug like this drug versus that drug right, right. so you have you have to go with, with what is the average person doing the average person is seeing the crime and knows that they voted on something being decriminalized a couple years ago okay. and they're like okay so look i'm against that right right First, first order reasoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly believe that the government has failed to provide to protect property rights in many different ways, and then allows the public spaces to be camped on and used in in inappropriate ways. I think they've 
abdicated their responsibilities over their own public land because they're mm -hmm. bad stewards of their own responsibility. Like you need to sell the public land so that a private landowner can come in and clear the streets, right? Like there yep. should be no reason why you should set up 500 tents and have a drug den right in, in the middle of your downtown park. Yep. So clear that problem up and then legalize your drugs and and everybody knows that if you're high and walking around in the park and you you steal a purse from somebody you're going to be dealt with yeah i prefer a private justice system but if we are going to have a government justice system the government should at least enforce justice yeah no i agree yep. and it should be for crimes i think that if you're high alone in your home great if you're high alone in nature great like or just like you're not harming anybody i don't yep. really care i i personally say that you shouldn't do drugs and you shouldn't eat processed foods and you shouldn't drink alcohol and you should make that personal decision for yourself. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I think that uh, that's the challenge is uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because you're right that uh, that's how the system sort of reacts to everything. It's like, no matter what happens, it's, it's uh the government is the solution, right? Like, you know, it, it's it, no matter what you do, things will get blamed on, um, you know, just like I, they're still blaming Reagan's tax cuts for everything 40 years later. And that's one of the few things uh, that he did. Right. Um, so that's, that, that's, you really touched on something there of like the, as libertarians, we're often frustrated by the low order thinking that people, um, employ with things. And I, I, it's hard to get mad at people because, you know, school and media and government, their whole lives have conditioned them to only think of things in that thing that oh, public servants are, you know, uh, disinterested, highly moral, uh, motivated people who, you know, they, they don't have any personal motivations, they just want to do the right thing. And so it's got to be frustrating that even people who may have some good instincts on things always fall back on, oh, well, you know, we should, you know, back off the drug war a little bit, but we can't, can't legalize heroin or something like that. So it's, uh, that's got to be frustrating to, to talk, talk to people and, and, and deal with sort of anti-logic coming back from them. The, and the heroin and fentanyl problems that we have stem directly from legal prescriptions. Yeah. To, right. to a large extent, it is a private market of people get, well, I hate that. Nothing in healthcare is private, right? But yeah, it, it is a, somebody's getting paid to prescribe you a pain pill and then down the road, you're doing fentanyl. Right. Well, no, also nobody, nobody starts out doing fentanyl the, the illegal way. Like nobody right. is sober, walks out into the street and buys fentanyl off of somebody on the street, right? Right. They started off with some other problem, some other way, probably with a pain pill mm -hmm. and worked their way down there. And it's because the system's broken from the top down that that they end up, we're, we're looking at the bottom problem and we need to go back to the top, right? Yeah. Make people yeah. liable for things they prescribe. Make prescriptions over the counter, clearly indicated, uh, make it. Uh, so that if somebody dies with your prescription taken the way that it's it's meant to be taken, that they can be held liable or injected by some maybe vaccine that they can be held liable and, and people make better decisions up front. Right. They're, yeah. they're relying on a doctor who may or may not be getting paid for what they're doing, what they're prescribing to you. And you're yeah. not the one paying them. So their incentives are are obscured from you. And so you can't make great decisions on it. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that we could, uh, I should get somebody on to really do a deep dive on the, uh, healthcare medical side of things, because I, I have a hard time when I talk to people about this issue that, you know, they think that it's basically a free market and therefore we should have socialized medicine. It's like, it's so hard to cut through all the weeds on that, that like, no, oh, like no, nothing, no. we're not even close to that. So uh, I I've converted, Dozens of people on this. First, first thing you say is yes, socialized medicine would be a better system than the current system. Yep. And that the current system 
is the worst of all possible situations. That is, you're you're right. Uh, I haven't quite thought of it that way, and I see the brilliance of it right away. <laughs> and and socialized medicine is better than the current system, but it is not a great and it's not a great system. Right. We can do even better than that by trying free market solutions, which have not been tried and have been prevented since at least World War II, yep. when the pharmaceutical industry really got kicked off. Yep. And also that's when uh, withholding taxation uh, started in earnest and in uh, order to uh, try to attract employees, that's when uh, companies, especially big companies like General Motors that my dad worked for from the late sixties through the nineties, like in order, because they, uh, a lot of their workers wages were taken out in taxes. It's like, Oh, how can we attract and keep good workers? Now we're going to employ, uh, um, we're going to offer healthcare as a benefit. And then, so that's, that's how the whole, so you know, actually, getting tied to your employer thing happened. Actually what happened was they put a price cap on salaries. You're right. The wage and price controls too. Yep. So they they couldn't add money to, to attract you. So they added benefits. Yep. So the free market found a solution to a government price control. Right. And then (laughs) we, we've been living with that system ever since. That led to another problem that led to another problem. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, We have a few minutes left. And one thing I really wanted to, to ask you about, um, and uh, we're going to have some after the election, some of our candidates who are like, it doesn't make sense for you uh, to spend uh, a lot of time uh, going door to door uh, in your race, but, uh, uh, and you may disagree on that, but because uh, uh, I'm, I want to get your input on what it's like being a candidate and what people should think about. Uh, we're going to have some people who are right now, like literally um, declined coming on the podcast because they're like, no, I got to go knock doors because I'm running for city council. And it's like, yeah, duh, why did I even bother to ask you? Um, so it's obviously a different calculation running for, you know, governor, U.S. Senate, something like that. It's another calculation running for the state house or the state Senate. And then, you know, what we're trying to do at the at Mises caucus is the county level and more local endorse recruit, train candidates for that. But there is something, you know, to be a candidate for anything, there's a thought process, there's considerations to make. So like someone who maybe wants to be an LP candidate, um, what would you encourage them? And I have an answer to this uh, after your uh, uh, response, Uh, but what type of things should they be thinking about and considering, uh, before they do that or in preparation for doing that? Uh, first of all, my advice would be, if you're going to be a line holder that doesn't do anything, I'd rather you don't do it. I'd rather you not run and not have an LP in the race. That doesn't mean you have to raise money and, uh, quit your day job. But at the very least, if you're going to put your name on the ballot, go to every event you can and put in every amount of effort that you have to give. Yep. Don't, don't skip out on your opportunity to make a difference. Put your heart and mind into it and get every little bit of effort that you can from other people to put into it and be as successful as you can. If you can't advance Liberty and you're just going to put your name on the ballot, just skip it. You know, I, I think that, uh, that does a disservice to the Libertarian Party for you to not be involved even as a candidate. Right. right. There's, and, there's, and, enough, there's enough Republicans and Democrats who are not involved that you can go you know, be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, another thing, and even, you know, it's less important today, but, you know, if the newspaper uh, sends you a survey, fill it out, um, get a, social media accounts and be creative and stuff on there. At least there are ways that low cost ways that you can have some effect and represent the Liberty message. Well, like you say, without spending 40 hours a week walking neighborhoods and, and things like that, that uh, there are cost effective ways because elections are when people are paying attention to politics. And so you have a, you have a little window where some people are going to listen. And so what you're saying is if you're not going to maximize that opportunity, don't, don't bother. And 
I, I drove four and a half hours to Mesa County to support one of our candidates and spoke to 20 people and, and drove back. Yep. And the ROI on my race was not great. Yep. But I would, I still would, I would do it again because I was supporting a, a local libertarian candidate. The statewide party showed up, you know, yep. we you put in the effort. That's all I'm yep. saying. And, and knocking doors is perfectly fine to, as long as you are converting people, because how many people have had a U.S. Senate candidate knock on their door? Right. You spend spend 20 minutes talking to one person that day and convert them to the Libertarian Party. Yep. Fine. That's great. That's a great use of your time. Go and yep. do that. You know, this politics is about changing people's minds, not results at the ballot box. Results mm-hmm. at the ballot box are a reflection of how successful you were of changing people's minds. Yep. And I would think that having a personal touch, developing personal relationships. And, you know, I I would imagine that in a lot of your interactions with voters, you're, you're not just, you know, reading from Rothbard to them, you're asking them what they're concerned about and developing some sort of personal uh, connection, right? I would imagine that's how, that's how conversations continue is by showing uh, interest in that other person. Um, So, uh, and I know that can be kind of grueling and sometimes, like you say, it seems like low R- ROI, but, um, but I, you're not, again, that's the best way to convince someone of something is to have some sort of personal relationship with them that they will not think of you as just a vo- uh, you know, a generic voice on Twitter or something like that. And when you're a statewide candidate, you can also reach out to, radio shows, TV shows, and, and try to get on their, their shows, give them content. They're always looking for content. I've been rejected by most people, but I've still gotten on several, uh, I've been on about five or six radio shows. That's, that's something that you can do as a statewide candidate that you can't do to get, you you get a libertarian message on the radio. I don't know how many people actually listen to the radio, but yeah. Use use your voice for free to go spread a message. That's that's the point of the statewide candidates. Yeah. And uh, and this was the the plug I was uh, leading to before I ask you for your uh, how people can get in touch with you. But of course, the Mises Caucus, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know and for those of you who do, we just uh, 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 we have a, a new Web page up called Run as Libertarian. And so that's for people who want to be or are thinking about, hey, do I want to be a candidate um, or a campaign manager? Uh, and we're uh, candidates for any race who are libertarian. So like if you want to run uh, for U.S. Senate, that's fine. But we're really encouraging people at the county level and more local that if you're thinking about it and sometimes you might be kind of on the edge, should I do this or not? And so so getting a little information and training is the way to decide, Hey, that might be able to put you over the, over the hump and decide to do it. So we've got online trainings coming up. Um, and it's also the way that if you want to run and want to apply for an endorsement and perhaps a campaign contribution from Mises pack, that's where you start. So run as libertarian.com. Uh, it'll also be a link on the show notes page when I get it up tomorrow, probably uh, decentralized revolution.com slash 91. Uh, if you, you know, kind of, you like what you've been uh, hearing from Brian, go to run libertarian.com and we'll get you plugged in with the Mises caucus to, uh, to see if you, uh, you can do this next time around. And, and a lot of you can. So, um, Brian, tell people what's the, uh, how, how many days till election day do you have and how are you going to be spending that time? And if people want to help you, how, how can they do that? The election is on November 8th. I don't actually know why it's not November 1st. I always thought it was the first Tuesday in November, but I guess if it's it, the first Tuesday f- on the first, you, you skip it. Yeah, it's the first Tuesday after the first Monday. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. Yep. Yeah. So November 8th, and I'm going to use the rest of my time trying to get my message out. I'm looking to raise some money to be able to uh, pay for a recount. We'll see if uh, I can be successful in finding some kind of fraud. I feel like as a third party candidate, I can make a statement that generates national news that says, hey, I wasn't expected to win. And I just want to make the government work to check their own answers. 
Yeah. So, and why did, why was there a hundred percent, 110% turnout in these 12 precincts in this county? You know? No, it's, not, it's like 12 counties in the yeah. state. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of counties get over a hundred percent turnout. That's great. So that's great. I would like to try to fix the system and I'm okay. trying to raise what the fees are going to be to be able to do a hand recount. I will, I could do just one County. If I can't raise very much, I could do the whole state. If I raise enough, if uh, you think that's a, a valiant effort, go to piotr.com and donate and I'd appreciate it. Every little okay. bit helps. And uh, I'm not wasting money on, on yard signs and mailers and, I, I'm really just saving up to do this one last effort at this point. So I'd appreciate it if you reach out to me, ask me questions, see if you want to volunteer for my campaign. I, I have an app from the state party that will let you help call people. If you want to do that, you can do that from anywhere in the country. Okay. Uh, that's so, my pitch. Piotter.com, P-E-O-T-T-E-R.com. That's correct. Thank okay. you. Okay. Yeah. I really appreciate your time uh, and on uh, a really short notice. And I know I could, like, I, I don't mind talking in front of people and stuff like that, but like the going door to door, I just, I have, I have real social anxiety around that. Like I, I can get up and talk in front of 500 people, but knocking on someone's door or like a, yeah. So you're doing a lot of things that a lot of us can't do. So, uh, I really appreciate that you got the, got the right attitude and you're a great libertarian and, uh, uh, we'll send people your way decentralizedrevolution.com slash 91. And uh, if anybody yeah. wants advice on knocking on doors, I ran for city council last year. I knocked on 4,000 doors. Ooh. I I came in with 40, I got 45% of the vote and I, I ended up losing, but I learned a whole lot about knocking on doors. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I wish I didn't know that before we could spend some time talking about that, but uh, maybe uh, uh talk to Amy, maybe you can help out and be in some of the, the trainings and stuff like that, because to have someone who's got that, man, that's uh that's some street cred, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> right there to, to knock on all those doors. So, um, yeah, really impressive. You're doing a great job and, uh, uh, we'll, uh, uh, uh I'll check in with you privately and I ho- hope you do really well. And I hope to, uh, hope you get some headlines with that recount. Thanks.